Romans chapter 12, and of course the book of Romans, once again, is a book of doctrinal truth about sin, chapters 1 through 3. Salvation, chapters 4 and 5. 6, 7, and 8, sanctification. 9, 10, 11 is the sovereignty of God in relation to the nation of Israel. And then chapters 12 through 16 about service, about serving the Lord and relationships. And of course, in Romans chapter 12, where it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. First of all, the relationship that must be first and paramount and foundational is a relationship with God. Then, verse 3, he said, I want you to have right relationship with yourself. Not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has given to every man a measure of the faith. And then my relationship with my local church family. Everything needs to start in the local church. I'm grateful that I have brothers and sisters all over the world. But truth of the matter is, I need to be grounded and settled in a local church with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And really, verse number, verse number 4 through verse number 16 has to do with that group of people. And then my relationship with people who are adversarial to me, enemies. That's what the last part of this chapter talks about. And all of us, if you live godly in Christ Jesus, will, you will have some adversaries. What do you do with people that are, don't understand you, that are against you, or trying to work against your success on the bus route, your Sunday school class, your workplace? But if folks, are that, that, how are you supposed to relate to them? That's uh, chapter 12, verse 17 through the end of the chapter. Chapter 13 talks about my relationship with the government and the police officers and the, and the governors and the mayors and the presidents and, and our higher powers that be. And then chapters 14 and 15 talk about relationship with other brothers and sisters, weaker and stronger uh, folks who maybe don't cross their, their T's or dot their I's the same way I do, but what am I supposed to do? People that are really offended easy, people that have real stronger uh, maybe uh, decisions and other folks who have weaker decisions. How do I relate with everyone? Chapters 14 and 15. And then chapter 16 is really a, a, just a closing um, reference to many of the people's names that Paul had interacted with in many places. He had not been to Rome when he wrote this letter. He, uh, he, but he had met many people throughout that time of history that had been saved and discipled in his ministry who now lived in Rome, and he wrote them these, uh, this particular letter in particular. It's a great uh, foundational book of the Bible and one that we ought to know more about, and I need to study it more and understand it better. And I would encourage all of you, you know, some, sometimes if you guys listen to your Bible on, on, on your phone or on a, on a cassette or a CD, it would be a good idea for maybe this week, just take time to, to, to listen to the book of, of Romans and maybe read through it. It's only 16 chapters. You could do four chapters a day and finish it in four days. Or you can maybe do eight chapters a day and finish it in, in two days. Uh, do it in, if you, if you have uh, eight days, you can finish two chapters a day and just absorb and think about sin, salvation, sanctification, the sovereignty of God in relation to his nation and then service, and then let it absorb in your heart and life. I think it'll be something that can be a blessing to you. But we're taking a little bit of time on this, and of course, this is our last week of the challenge. And of course, we have this 7-11 challenge. There are seven different things that uh, you and I are working on. They have a little bit of flyer up there. I think they have something on the screen they could probably show you. But next Sunday night, everybody who has attempted seven of those, we will tell you this week what we're going to do on Wednesday night. 
what the plan is, and then next uh, Sunday morning we'll let you know what the, uh, the party's about, where it's taking place, what they're going to participate in. But I want to encourage everybody to do something. Some of you, uh, that time has come and gone. You can't check that one off, but we've given you the opportunity to still miss four and still get seven and join the gathering we'll have next Sunday evening after church. I'm looking forward to it very, very much, and I hope it'll be a blessing. It's been a great month, I believe, for God and a great month for us as we have learned to try to take challenges. And learning one of the challenges is learning what are the spiritual gifts that God gives individuals in his work. I think you can serve God without knowing your spiritual gift and still be rewarded and still look for the Lord, you know, because everything starts with presentation of yourself, a living sacrifice to the Lord. You have a right relationship with God. You don't have to know your spiritual gift and still be used by God. However, I think learning how God has gifted each individual in your sphere of influence and yourself included kind of helps you do three things. Assimilate yourself into the work that God is trying to do. If you're a hand, in the, in the body of Christ, you will know best how to use that. If you're an ear, if you're a mouth, if you are an eye, if you're a foot, you'll understand, okay, this is what God made me. And if you're, if you're not a foot, you will look down there and say, you know what, I'm glad I have that foot. I, I'm not, I can't do what the foot can do. If you're an eye, you can't be a foot. You wouldn't want to walk on your eyeball. That'd be a bad idea. But if you look down there, you say, hey, I'm glad I got a foot down there. You'll also have a second thing, and you'll have an appreciation for other parts of the body. Whenever you understand your spiritual strengths, you'll say, you know, I'm glad God gave me this, but I also now need to figure out how does God want me to serve effectively? And why do I like to do it this way? But my brother over here likes to do it differently. Or he, has, he sees life in a different way. You can understand to assimilate. You can understand to appreciate and you understand to associate that I need everybody. There's no way any of us would have had an effective youth conference if all of us had the same gift. We need diversity. God made us different that he would make us one. But you got to figure out what you're made for. And that won't happen until, number one, you understand God and have a relationship with God and understand yourself. Not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, verse 3, but to think soberly, okay, why does God, why did he leave me on the planet? How long am I going to be here? I don't know. But while I wait for his son from heaven or for him to take me into heaven, I need to exercise wisdom regarding my spiritual strengths. In chapter, in chapter 12, verse number 6, we see he introduces us to several. Several we've already covered, and that was the first one. In verse number 6 is prophecy. Let's look at it if we can, please. Chapter 12 and verse number 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy, according to the proportion of faith. And of course, with each of these, he's going to mention prophecy. And I, I'll just tell you generally things I have learned and have observed. I'm not right about everything, and I, and, but I, as this is just my perspective based upon the reading and studying, and as I look at this passage of Scripture, I've had sweet friends tell me, Pastor, you're all wrong about this spiritual gifts. I don't believe that's really a biblical thing, and, and I, I'll, I'll, keep, I'll let them keep their opinion. To me, I feel like it helps me understand who I am and who everybody else is. And a prophet is somebody who is passionate about truth. They're very passionate about things that are right and how we can get it done right. And, and, we, and we need that. It's a lonely gift. 
And most of you don't have it. It is, is I think, a, a somewhat of a smaller gift. But whatever the gift God gave you, you need to operate it within the, the sphere of the Holy Spirit of God in inertia. Holiness and yieldedness to the Lord. Really, if we can just, we can, number one, exercise honesty. Number two, exercise humility and pursue holiness. You're going you're gonna to knock them dead with whatever God's called you to do. But a prophet is very important to the church. It keeps it right. It points out things that are wrong. It's very sensitive to truth. Usually prophets are great soul winners. They're very faithful about wanting to get the gospel out. They're the ones who have tracks. They're the ones who are confronting people and they're very good foot soldiers for the Lord as a general rule under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. And we need them. The church needs them. If a church ignores its prophet or gets rid of its prophet, it will go down a, a left-hand route real fast and find itself in the ditch of unholiness and, and, and false doctrine. The next gift that God gives us is the gifts of helps or service. In my personal opinion, this is probably uh, the gift that God has given most people. There's more servants, I think, than any other gift if you want to talk about the numbers of people. Servants are people who, and by the way, if you are a prophet, verse 9 tells us their admonition. Let love be without dissimulation. Hate the evil, but love the good. Exercise balance. Don't just go around pointing out, you got a problem. You're wrong. You're wrong. That was wicked. You're terrible. Don't just go in. You've got, you got to exercise. Okay, if you see something wrong, you, you, we need to address it. It needs to be brought up. This week I had several people come and tell me things that they feel like our church needs to do better or things they saw wrong that need to be corrected. It happens in any given week. And uh, there are some times where I get frustrated, maybe, because some folks are just, they're always telling me negative things. But they don't see any positive things. Okay, and I don't mind hearing the negatives, but occasionally it'd be good for them to see through the other thing. And the Bible tells us, look, if you're a prophet, let your love be without argumentative spirits. Yes, hate the evil, but love the good. That's the admonition God gives to the prophet. To the servant, he says to them, listen, if you're a servant, serve. Find your role and play it. Don't try to be a chief if you're an Indian. Say, okay, here's what I'm good at. Here's what I like to do. And this is exactly, uh, I think, the admonition. At the same time, don't think you're killing the big one. Everyone else is a bunch of lazy bumps. That's what he says in verse number 10. Look at it with me and read it out loud with me, would you please? Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor. He said, look, if you're a servant, uh, boy, rejoice and, and love your brothers and sisters. And don't feel like you are the only one that's killing the big one and everyone else is just playing in the waiting pool. Uh, you need to understand and appreciate those who are working with you. Be kindly affectionate, tenderhearted, preferring one another. Uh, Brother Wes Wilson, of course, somebody who's really been a hero of, of, uh, of ours, especially during youth conference, fighting cancer, having to do weekly um, Chemotherapy, I don't even know how he is sustained apart from the grace of God. I saw him this afternoon going to the dumpster and throwing things out. But among other things that Brother West says, he's a servant. But he said, Pastor, we've got to give some commendation to the Better Roads Recovery Man. Oh, he said, oh, we could not have done this week were it not for the servants of Christ and the rescue mission and the Better Roads. These guys took another level of commitment. You know what he's doing? He's serving. He's throwing pizza boxes and, 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 and think in the dumpster himself. We said, I'll tell you what, 
prefer. Don't even talk about me. Just tell the better road recovery guys, those guys are doing a great job. You know, that's a biblical, that's a biblical attribute. It's something that God wants us to do. So we talked about the people who are prophets. We talked about the people who are servants. We talked about the people who are teachers. Look at the passage of Scripture again, verse number 7. Or ministry, wait in your ministry, or he that teacheth on teaching. And we spoke about that. If you were to talk about who would be a prophet in the Bible, I think probably Peter would be a good example of a prophet. He was preaching at Pentecost. He was passionate about getting the gospel out. He was also very, you know, he'd find himself in argumentative situations sometimes. And I think sometimes a prophet can do that if they're not careful. Then we find uh, the, the ministry, maybe Timothy of the Bible might be a good example of someone who didn't want to be in charge. He just wanted to help Paul. He, he, he got into this thing to help Paul. And when Paul would say, hey, I'm going to go over here. I need you to stay here. He'd say, no, no, I don't want to be in charge. He said, I besought thee that you abide sealed Ephesus. I had to, he had to plead with him and beg him to stay and organize the church at Ephesus. And by the way, his work in Ephesus, that church, 30 years after Paul went to heaven, it was still going on, and John writes to it because he, he was a watchdog for doctrine because doctrine determines destiny. And he said, you need to do that. But a teacher might be the Dr. Luke that we have talked about in the book of Luke and Acts. He, he definitely documented things. He wrote things down. He, he saw things, analyzed those things. We talked about that in previous lessons. But I think you'd be good. But if you are a teacher and you do like to get the, the facts, you want to know what's going on and how, and you understand completely things, you analyze what's being said somewhat. If someone gives a, a, a statistic you want to find out, is that true, and work on that, or some new thing comes, you're interested in how that happened and how it came about, that's great. Most teachers love their books. They love to, they love to, to sit in studies and, and read and, and analyze. They, they have the laptops. They're working on things. You know, when you want to learn about Bulgaria, they're the ones who go into Google, okay? They, they want to find out. Hey, I'm doing that after church. I'm going to find out about that country. That's our teachers. And that's fine. That's great. However, there is admonition to each of these. Let's look at verse number 11, if we can, please, to the teacher. Here's the admonition. Read it with me. Not, but fervent. The challenge here is to stay active and don't find yourself comfortable with, with books at the expense of being serving in the ministry. You know, when we find some folks who no doubt were teachers in our church. They are gifted. They can, boy, I, I, I have some, I've got some men, I hate to even, even mention them to you because there's so many others, but boy, you just throw out an idea and 15 minutes later, they have a whole page typed up with several references you can check out. Like, how did you do that? It would have taken me an act of Congress to get that together. And yet they can just kind of put it together so quickly. They break down ideas quickly. But it's wonderful to see them at times taking folding chairs and folding up things and giving lunches to kids because he's a, it's part of the business. You can't say, well, no, I'm a teacher. I just do my studies, and I hope everybody else gets a good time out there. No, you need to be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Brother, Dr. Dr. Cowling's out there with his family, but here's a guy who's just a brainiac, but has been on a bus route for 50 years, still on a bus route, still serving the Lord, still doing things and, and actively doing the things of God. That's a beautiful example. Fervent spirit, serving the Lord. And then the next gift we see is exhortation. And exhortation, those are people that, that, that really work with others. 
They want to see people make it. And boy, every church needs people like this. That till Christ be formed in you, till you really get this. And, and Apostle Paul would probably be the greatest example that comes to my mind. There may be others in the Bible, but people that really want others to get it. Usually exhorters are very good disciplers. They're good counselors. They don't mind counseling and working with people long term because they want them to get it. And we find that that's the case. And, and how I thank God for, for people like that, that help the hurting, that work with people, that they want them to get this. They'll, they'll sacrifice time. By the way, when you find your spiritual strength and you exercise it, you can be physically tired but spiritually energized. You can do it and tiredness. To a servant, tiredness doesn't seem to matter. It's just, this is what I get to do. This is what I can do. This is what I get to do. To someone who's an exhorter, they, they find that they still, when people mess up, they still want to work with them. They want to help them. They're going to make it. I know they're going to do it. And, of course, the admonition to the exhorter, someone who works with people, is found in verse number 12. Let's read it together. Can we please? Here's the exhortation. There's three things they're going to need to have. Number one, to be able to rejoicing in hope, patient in, and continuing instant. How? He said, look, if you're, going to be a, if you're going to exhort and work with people, you've got to be rejoicing, not in what they are, but what they will be. You've got to rejoice in the process of their development. You've got to say, you know, this is not who they are, this is what they're going to be. But just a few moments ago, Brother Eddie reminded us, wouldn't it be great if 15 years from now, people who went to youth conference this time are now going to the mission field coming back and showing us pictures of what God is using them to do and people saying, I got saved, I got saved. You know, people who, who work with them say, yeah, I could see Dave Murhalski doing that. I, I, can, I can see young people that were standing, some of you who are exhorters, you saw those, all those kids line up on here, you think, oh man, oh, well, I hope they'll work with them. That'd be great. I can, I can see that, that kid, that young person. And I use one name, I can name a lot of people. But boy, as I listen to young people pray, and Josiah Rodriguez, and Noah Hollihan, and some of our many precious girls, I can just see, I can't wait to one day to see what God develops in them. But you know what that's called? Rejoicing in hope. And then patient in, okay, I got to keep working through setbacks and frustrations. How many of you ever worked with someone, you saw them get saved, and I was just praying for my friend today, two friends, that uh, they got saved, they were taken off like a, like a, like a jet. And now I can't get a hold of them. I think they're getting my text, but they're just not letting me know they're getting my text. I'm thinking, what happened? What's difficult? Well, there's a tribulation coming. There's problems coming. Now I've got to say, okay, God, what do I need to do? I can't forget about them. I don't forget about them because an exhorter says, you know what? I'm going to be patient. I'm going to keep working them through the difficulties. I'm going to rejoice what they have. But at the same time, I can't just be a deadhead and keep banging on the same door when they don't want to answer the door. I've got to still be faithful about other people. And then the last one, one thing I exhorter desperately needs, not only to rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, but instant and how? And what? Prayer. We've got to pray our way through our problems. And by the way, that's, that should be our first response, not our last resort. Sometimes when you have folks that, that ghost you or they're not following along or they fall off the wagon in some way, you've got to pray through it and be instant in prayer. And every time that there's an instance that comes to your mind of that person, pray for them. 
Don't get mad at them. Don't get frustrated with them. They're, 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 they're pawns on, on Satan's board. He's working with them. You might remember whenever God's people were given chance to get out of Egypt, a blood sacrifice brought them out. But as they went away, what happened to Pharaoh? He said, get them out, go, go. And they spoiled the Egyptians. And after they got a ways away, what happened? He changed his mind. And he wanted to go out and get them, pull them back, get them back into to Egypt, enslaved them again. He couldn't take them to hell because they had been a blood sacrifice made, but he wanted to pull them back in to the world. And boy, you find that, if you work with people long enough, you'll find that to be the case. By the way, it's important that baptism takes place. There needs to be a crossing of the Red Sea somewhat. That's an important thing. And oftentimes Christians who rebel in areas of baptism, I'm so glad to see Sam and Benjamin over here. Both of them are here on a Sunday night after getting baptized this morning. That's good. There's a commitment made. I saw both of them walk out, and boy, they're as happy as they didn't know any better because they had pleased the Lord. It's a good thing to help your converts get saved and then get baptized. It helps them. It doesn't mean they're going to be perfect going forward, but it's a big decision for them to be made. Then we look at tonight, real quickly, at the giver. Look, if you would please, at the next verse of the Scripture, verse number 8. He that exhorteth an exhortation, and he that giveth, let him do it how? Simplicity. And this is a challenge, and I would just say these are some great things. And there are sweet people in every church who have been gifted to give. This is, this is, what, key, this is what, what really butters their bread. They look at everything in somewhat of financial ways. Here's a couple things that a giver might have. And, and you know, I, I, I think, first of all, they see and, and get the blessing of good investment. They see things. Some of us, we just want to get, you know, just giving a, 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 and it doesn't mean someone can't have a gift of giving, but oftentimes a person who has a gift of giving, they don't have the 40-hour-a-week job making the same amount every time. Oftentimes, givers, God gives them insight to say, how can I multiply my money? How can I have a little bit more? I think that's something that God oftentimes gives givers. Now, in the Bible, some say Matthew would be a gift, of, of, of someone like this, the Matthew or Levi, one of, the, one of the things. I think maybe Barnabas might be someone like this too. I would probably go with Barnabas over Matthew because I think there's more known about his generosity. But either way, it doesn't matter. Just, just an example, I think both of them could be that way. But giving people, normally they can view and see a good investment. Giving people, usually, they invest themselves first and then their gift. They're, they're vested in, in themselves. By the way, I think it's very important. Someone who can just write a check, oh, yeah, I'll just do that. I'll just do that. That's not what God wants. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, whenever we look at the, um, the church at Macedonia, they first gave of themselves and then their substance. You know, whenever we have a, a conference here, especially a missions conference, I invite you to do two, three things. Number one, give yourself to Christ. Number two, get, give, your, give your support to the conference. Number three, give your substance to the cause. Give yourself to Christ first. If you don't give yourself to, to Christ first, then you're not going to... And by the way, where your treasure is, there your heart. One of the reasons God wants us to participate in giving is so our heart will go there. You know, if you take your big bucks out of the Lord's work here, God's not getting nervous. He, he got along before we showed up. But you and I need to participate. 
Some of you, you, you don't give. I don't know who you are, but I, it grieves me. When people will suck God's air, enjoy God's blessing, have such blessings given to them, and they, whatever, they just can't get over giving one dime of every dollar to the Lord. And then they go around complaining, I don't have anything. I remember one time sitting with a guy, and he just told me I was wrong on giving. It's Old Testament. And then he proceeded to tell me about 17 things going wrong in his life financially. What would you do if you couldn't pay your mortgage? I said, you know, I never had that problem. It just seems like I, mean, I never had a lot of money sitting around, but it just whenever it came up, God gave me this meat. And I wouldn't even, I wouldn't dream about stealing from God. You know, good night in the morning. That's just about the dumbest thing a person can do, in my opinion, unless you don't have a different, you have a different Bible you're marching to. I mean, giving is something God expects us to, everyone, it's a giving is a must. But to the giver, there's special things about that. They give of themselves first, and then they give to the cause. And I think it's often, sometimes, occasionally, a giver not submitted to the Lord will just think he's killing the big one because he can write a check and send it down every once in a while. You know, God doesn't want your money, he wants you. And giving is not God's way of raising funds, it's God's way of raising children. When people, if people fail to give, they're just a matter, they're just a casualty getting ready to be, you know, a casual Christian getting ready to be a casualty. You've got to get in on that. And uh, it, it, it grieves me when I find people that don't have that interest. And I don't, I'm not sure, I'm not here to criticize, I don't even know who you are. But you know. Well, I'm going through a lean time, so I, have to, I need everything I have. You're, that's when you need to give. I don't have nothing. I still don't know what to do. Well, start, well, next time you get something, give. <laughs> start with nothing. And, and just honor the Lord with your substance, what he's given you, and with the first fruits of anything he gives you beyond that. Honor the Lord with that. Well, it, I think also a giver is usually wants to give high-quality gifts. Someone who has a gift of giving usually is not satisfied with just chump change. They kind of want to give something that's meaningful. This is just an observation. I think a giver also likes to meet a prayer petition. When something's being prayed for, there's something stimulated inside of them, like, how could you meet that need? When they hear something, they're like, oh, someone's praying about that? Then, then the Spirit of God works with them a little bit more. They enjoy the opportunity to meet a specific need. They, uh, they oftentimes give best secretly. They oftentimes give best secretly. This is something that I've observed, and I feel like some people, they, they, don't, they don't necessarily need anyone to know. We had someone the other day that helped with the, the bus you just saw. And they said, Pastor, uh, this is just between you and me and the fence post. I really don't want anyone to know. I know God laid in my heart to do this, but I don't want, I don't want anyone to know. Well, you know why that person, is, they're a giver. And there's nothing wrong if someone do. I think when you see, and, and sometimes it's like people say, oh, you never tell what you tithe, or never tell what you gave. Look, David shared what he gave for the temple. Solomon shared. Nehemiah told what he gave to the cause of the wall. Jesus stood and watched people give their offering. Now, I'm not suggesting you go around and show your offerings, like, here's what I'm giving. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just telling you that I, I don't think it's as secretive in Christ's time as it is in our time. However, when our giving with one another our alms, I don't think it's wrong for a man. I mean, I had a, had a very sincere man speak to me recently. He said, Pastor, I started thinking about this. I have gone many years somewhat less than generous in my giving, but God has stimulated me in my senior years of life to try to do, do something when God points out a need to give to it. 
And there's something inside of me that wants to tell other people, not for my own, not for my own um, accolades. I don't really care about that. But I don't want people to wait till they're my age to give. Because I have learned to give. And you know what? God seems to have a bigger bucket than I do. I committed $200, and I just got notified that I'm going to get $800. God tripled my, my increase. When I, I commit 200 then I get 800 Because I, I told him I was going to get this for this project, and it's like it was in a, in a, few, in a few days. I found I'm getting an X amount of dollar, an hour raise at my job. I didn't know that was coming. It's crazy. I began to say, you know, and I feel like I'm just growing in this, but I want to tell other people, look, Here's what God did for me. I want to encourage you to do it for you. I don't think that's wrong. We're supposed to consider one another, to provoke one another to what it would be wrong. It's like, hey, man, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what I did. I helped that person. What I said to this man, I said, you know, I think probably you don't need to tell the details or who you helped. You might want to just say, this is what God laid in my heart to do. How much money it was, who it was is not important. But I'll just tell you, God gave through me what he would not give to me to do that. And I would encourage you to look for ways in which you can do it. I think that's a good idea. He's not trying to puff up himself, not trying to brag about that. He's just saying, I found out just recently about one of our servants of Christ who did something very extravagant to help another brother or sister in Christ. And I thought to myself, I didn't know that. And you know what? They didn't want me to know that. They didn't do it for me. They didn't do it so anyone would even know. They just did it because they could. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's where he says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. It's not something you brag about. Oh, I helped this person. Yeah, I helped them. That guy owes me a lot because I really stepped in when they needed it. No, no, no. That's where you have your reward. That's where you lose some things whenever it gets glory back to you. But usually a giver has a desire to, he does his best. She does her best giving and she doesn't, or he doesn't want really it to be known. Obviously, someone normally has to know something, but it's not, it's not their purpose. They like to do it in secret. They don't mind doing it anonymously. We have a precious servant in this room. and When we were getting, uh, going through litigation, through something that just really was hurtful, it wasn't really, it was, just, it was greed and challenges, and there was mistakes made. But, but, you know, whenever the people couldn't get the funds out of the person they wanted to get, they turned on onto the church. And we spent days and days and attorney fees and all kinds of things fighting to figure out how we can do that. I remember someone from our church, probably here tonight, anonymously went down into their 401k and they pulled out a very large sum of money and they just made an appointment. They said, Pastor, you didn't cause this problem. Our church didn't cause this problem. But it is a problem. And I know God wants me to make a major commitment to help take care of at least our deductible or help toward the deductible that we're going to have to pay out for this lawsuit. But Pastor, please don't tell anyone. I don't want anyone to know. I don't want anyone to, to be concerned about it. It doesn't matter. God knows and you know. And so I, I'd like to ask you to do that. And brought a cashier's check and said, I went down. My, my, my financial counselor thinks I'm an idiot, thinks I'm a dummy, but I know this is what God wants me to do. You know, sometimes givers do their best in secret. Sometimes givers, I would say also, they're thrifty themselves. 
They're, they're usually pretty careful with their own things, and they scrutinize how things are spent. They want to know how things are going. Now, not every giver is that way, but I think sometimes some of the givers are people who, they go to thrift shops. They're a little bit, they're just kind of careful with their own little situation, and sometimes to a fault, uh, sometimes someone who's a giver is much more generous with others and not necessarily as gracious with their own family. But I think that happens, and sometimes that's the case. They seek counsel oftentimes for how, what amount do they do. And I th- I've seen this a little bit where someone who's a giver, they want to give to everything, but they oftentimes find someone and say, you know, I'm thinking about this, what do you think? Is there, what do you think I should do? I, I, mean, boy, I want to help to that. I've got sweet friends right here in this room. When someone loses their spouse, when someone goes to Hammond Baptist and their dad dies or mom dies, something happens, they're trying to find a way to say, okay, what do we have to do? What do they need? And there are people here, some folks who don't even like each other. You don't like this person and they've helped you. Sometimes givers have some challenging relational issues with others. They, they sometimes will have some things and some idiosyncrasies and, some, and they knock heads with people. This has just been my observation. It's not always the case. And everything I'm telling you is not always the case, but I've seen that because they, they don't like it when someone makes them just the bank. Oh, we've got a problem. Let's go see this person. They, they kind of scrutinize and evaluate, try to evaluate motives and needs. But a giver is a great gift to the work of God. And every one of us in eternity future, when the books are open, we will be very thankful for generous, giving people. And he said, if, you got give, if you're giving, if you're a giver, do it with simplicity. Do it simply, low-key. Don't make it all about you. Just be, just be simple about things. Sometimes that's a fault of a giver, is they're oftentimes, or they, 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 they have, to have too much information, and they don't do it simply. They have to, they have to make sure, make it complicated. And that's a challenge. And sometimes when you get burned a lot, givers oftentimes get burned and they, they, they help. They oftentimes get a little bit too, too analytical in that. Let's look at the verse and we'll close tonight. Can we look at it if we could please? Verse 13 is the admonition to the giver. Can we look at it and read it out loud together? If you're a giver, here's the admonition. Number one, distributing, given to. I want you to meet the need of saints of God who are struggling. And I want you to be given to taking the things God has given you to assist other people. That's hospitality. If someone is hospitable, they have their house and they open their house to other people. They have their car, they'll loan it to someone else if they can, take care of the insurance people. They, oh, yeah, oh, that's fine. They find out things they have for the benefit of other people. And they enjoy doing that. And the work of God is blessed when someone who has a gift of prophecy prophesies according to the measure of faith. When someone has the gift of serving, they serve. When someone has the gift of teaching, they teach and document what they learn. When someone has the gift of of giving, exhortation, they encourage and they work with people. When someone has the gift to give, they give. And it's a blessing if we understand this is how God wired us and this is how God wired other people in the ministry. Let's pray together, can we?